Welcome to the Drunk Guys Book Club, where books aren't just for school, where book clubs aren't just for women, and we're going to disgrace ourselves with beer. I'm Mike. I'm Nate. I'm Jimmy. And we're the Drunk Guys, and this week we're reading Disgrace by J.M. Cootsie? Cootsie? I've heard a couple different ways of saying Cutie it. Cutie pie. Cootsie. Cootsie. Goatsy. It's Goatsie, yeah. It's Goatsie. Oh, who's starting with a beer? I am a gape. That's, that is a way to disgrace yourself. <laughs> I'll start with the beer. <laughs> so the main character, uh, would you say he the the he gets himself into many sexual jams? Oh my yeah. god! Wow. Is that a book beer called Sexual Jams? This beer is called Sexual Jams. Oh my god! Why the album Nate? Brick City Brewing. It is a double India Pale Ale, eight percent alcohol. Hmm. Uh, yeah, it's fine. It's not as bitter as, you know, the one that I had before Into the Future. I know, um, but the one I had last time. That beer one is the thin air, Nate. <laughs> it did. <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, still fine. So this book uh, was the 1999 Booker winner and was the first book to make the author a double Booker winner, I think I read earlier. This was uh, his second Booker, and so he became the first yes. double Booker winner. Two books. Not just booked. Booker. That's how comparative adjectives work. At this point, he was... Book, booker, and bookist. He was bookist at this point. Yeah. So, and then he won the Nobel Prize in literature shortly afterwards. And I'm not sure if he even wrote another book in between when this came out and when he won the Nobel Prize, or I think it just came out the next book. So, and the Nobel Prize is not awarded for a single book. It's for a lifetime of work. So, apparently, this guy is the shit, and I'd never heard of him. But that's not uncommon for me, so I don't know. Oh, and he's always shortlisted for or longlisted for anytime he puts something out. It almost certainly makes the long list for the Booker. The vast majority of his books are going to be highly. He's he's revered. He's a he's a literature person's book writer. I think so. This doesn't strike me as the kind of book that it's not a beach read. <laughs> it's not. A, <laughs> no, it's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the only thing of his I've read. Um, Me too. Well, 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 he has another book. I wonder if we should do that at some point. So the book came out in 99, and it tells the story of David Lurie, who is a South African. It's it's not clear immediately, I don't think. Um, This is the second time I've read it, so I kind of, I knew the gist of it. But I was just trying to see, like, when they reveal, like, he's white. And like when they reveal which characters are white and which characters are black. A lot yeah. of them, they don't reveal it until like way after you've met them. And you don't think about it. It's like, oh, I guess that person's black or something. I assumed he was white because... He's a college professor in, of, who's yeah, in, in South his Africa. 50s in South Africa. They were allowed, they allowed black college professors in South Africa probably at this and point. And also, I mean, not to say that black people wouldn't be interested in this, but he's like a college professor who's interested in like Byron, Lord Byron. Like that's a pretty specific niche thing that if yeah. if I had to guess of the people in South Africa who would be more inclined to study such a thing I would imagine it's would be more popular with people of a European ancestry you know because they might feel more connection to the you know the, the source material to the the stuff Byron writes about which I don't know anything about Byron just like went around and fucked people and then died in the Greek wars didn't he like the 1830s Byron was known for being basically a, you know, super handsome, but also a womanizer. 
And really, the characters in literature like Edward from Twilight and characters like that, they are kind of based on, sort of that type of character is based on Lord Byron, or at least it was long enough ago after his lifetime. So he, he was like that kind of person. That guy got down, is what you're saying. He did, yeah. And the ladies got dicked down. That's a uh, alliterative, like poets like. <laughs> That's a poem thing. Dick down. Um, so Laurie, and the first scene, d- the, the very down. first thing that the main character describes, because it's all from D- David Laurie's uh, perspective, and he's like in his fifties. He says he's been divorced twice, but that he's it's him visiting a prostitute, visiting his favorite prostitute named Soraya, and talks about that, and then. He, but also the experience of like seeing her out on the street and it was like, oh no, that was a bad idea. And With then she kids. was weird. And then, yeah. And then she was weirded out by him and didn't want to see him anymore. And that's the beginning. And so because his favorite prostitute is no longer seeing him, he ends up uh, basically picking up uh, one of, a college student on his campus. One of, one of the students in his class, he like sees her, out walking around and he's like, Hey, can I give you a ride? And then he's like, Oh, why don't you stay for dinner? And then she leaves, but then he comes back the next day with goes to her place with flowers. And then basically manages to get this student of his college student of his named Melanie to sleep with him. And it's less than consensual. Yeah. It's implied because it's all through his perspective, but they mention like her, Covering her face and frowning and then getting into the shower afterwards and washing him off. And, like, she's clearly weeping. And him undressing her and her just flopping like a dead fish. Yeah, they said it's a point that he forces her shirt up, so... he It's it's not first person, but it is his... It's, it's a close third. It's yeah. narrow third person perspective. Well, yeah, so he fucking used what is... Well, I mean... Maybe the book is, I'm sure this was intentional, the author, but in the 90s, perhaps, a larger percentage of people would have been like, well, she didn't say no. It was fine. Yeah. And today, in 2021, we're like, no, nah, that was there was no consent given there. I, I read a review of it today. It was like, reading Disgrace in you know while the Harvey Weinstein trial is going on. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, he's her professor of, he's a professor of communications because in... South Africa's continued economic distress. The university has cut his position of teaching whatever iambic pentameter class or whatever he was fucking doing. So he teaches communications, which is going to be a theme because he's shitty at communicating. <laughs> and um, but he's interested in. I just really wanted to use this beer because uh, I just I need to make room in the fridge. He's interested in the collective arts. <laughs> Would you say? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, does, he, does, he does show an interest in uh, opera later on in the book, really. Yeah. Where he tries to write an opera on banjo. That sounds like the worst thing crazy in the to entire work. world. A banjo opera. I would rather kill myself than know that that exists. I would love to see a banjo opera and know that it killed you. <laughs> 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 this is from Collective Arts. It is called... IPA number 18. Like, how the fuck was I ever going to use this for anything? She is 18 years old. I thought no, she was 20. 20. No, well, I don't know. Close enough. But she looks 18, and he was like, nice. 
So it's IPA number 18, Coconut and Key Lime IPA with Sabro and Motuka hops. More lime than I like. I wish it was more coconut than Key Lime, frankly. I'm not a fan of lime flavor. And that's because it's normally just like the lime in a Corona or Bud Light lime in beer. So, Do you like Key Lime pie? Uh, it's okay. It doesn't, you don't come across it that often. Well, no, it's a Florida thing. It's where it was invented. It's full of cocaine. It's just used because dogs can't smell the cocaine <laughs> underneath all the, all the lime. So much filling. lime. <laughs> no, this is fine. I, I, if you like lime IPAs, this is great. If you're like me and a reasonable person, it's a bit too much lime. It's a very tart <laughs> flavor to put into a beer. It just makes the whole thing very, very tart. Well, I could see it as like a, a thing to play off of, you know, the citrus flavors that are in all these, like Motuka and Sabro hops. If you mix it with a shandy, you get beer Sprite. I tried to make Sprite. I mix <laughs> lemon and lime. There's got to be more to it than that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he he totally takes advantage of this young girl multiple times. Multiple keeps, times. You know, yeah. and then at a certain point, somebody, it's never it's not clear if it's her roommate or her like boyfriend or her guy who has a crush on her. It's, it's never spelled out. But some other guy all of a sudden is like, hey, shithead, what do you think you're doing? I'm going to ruin you. And then they report him to the, you know. Just, There's also you know, the really weird scene where she comes over to his place and has to stay with him. Which, yeah. you know, I'm sure has many layers of meaning and deep-rooted psychological trauma issues that just happens quickly. And then they go to the, the bosses about him. And he has this, like, they have a disciplinary uh, meeting about him. And it's, he's an asshole in it. He's a total dick throughout He doesn't feel he's done anything wrong. Well, he knows he's kind of done something wrong, but he refuses to. But when they confront him, they say, okay, this complaint has been lodged against you. What do you have to say about it? He says, he just says, I'm guilty. So, like, he admits that. It happened, but he doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to go into... He doesn't want to say what he did. He doesn't, he doesn't want to beg. He won't even well, read the report. He's like, yeah, I did it. That's fine. I don't need to see it. I'm sure I did it. And, and the, the um, key, the thing is that he wouldn't... He basically was clearly not sorry. He was like, yeah, I did it. And, and he knows he did something wrong, but he's not like sorry about it. He's not like, I feel bad about this and I need to change. He doesn't say anything like that. And so the committee is like you know what? What the fuck? Like, this is not, like, this is not what it is. That's just, this is not what we want from you. And he, he says, like, listen, the law is just whether I'm guilty or innocent. And I'm saying I'm guilty. What more do you want from me? And, and the other people in the committee are trying to say, like, listen, we're, we're your friends here. We're trying to help you. But you need to basically say you're fucking sorry. And he just wouldn't, wouldn't do it. So he loses position. One of his friends calls him and was like, here, dude, here's what, just just let, just let say you wrote this. And it's two sentences. And it's like, I'm sorry. And he's like, no, won't do it. And then he loses his whole career. He does, he did something, you know, wrong in the eyes of society. But he doesn't necessarily feel like it was that wrong. He thinks like it's kind of like a... Uh, you know, people are all about his business and, you know, who, who are they to judge? And like, I'm a man and, you know, I have 
things I got to do, and that's the way I'm built, and that's what I'm going to happen. And you know, I I did nothing. I'm just not me. I should be ashamed of. I like fucking young cash. What's wrong with that? He said this in the. I wrote this one down because it was depressing. Uh, One can punish a dog, it seems to me, for an offense like chewing a slipper. A dog will accept the justice of that, a beating for a chewing. But desire is another story. No animal will accept the justice of being punished for following its instincts. So this is when we got, when I got to this part, this is where I started to realize that, what is the book about? Is it book, is it just about the sort of like difficulty of life in post-apartheid South Africa? Because, you know, it's because South apartheid ended in like 1984 and this is published in 1999. So is it just about that? Or like the promise, are the characters in the book really more symbolic of the different groups of people in South Africa or the difference more symbolic of what had happened in South Africa's history. And so this is what I had to start imagine was a comment on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission because the purpose of the, now I don't know a ton about it, but the purpose of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission set up by Nelson Mandela and Desmond Tutu uh, after the end of apartheid was for people who had done awful things to basically at least share the story or share like what happened. So at least there's some closure for the victims and then they could be forgiven and not have to serve like jail time. One of the things I heard about this was that a lot of these guys who did all these terrible things, like guys who like experiment, like did physical medical torture experiments on huge amounts of black people in Africa, South Africa, they confessed and they didn't go to jail because when they did it, under that government, it was not a crime to do these things. So they could not be punished legally. So uh, I think a lot of things like that were probably true. And a number of the people that, I mean, there was plenty of violence on both sides, except also the white apartheid government was responsible for a ton. And the people who were acting, you know, the government hit squads assassinating, you know, yeah. leaders of, of some of the... Crimes against uh, humanity. Of some of the groups, like they were acting with legal, with with the law behind them, but you know, clearly what they were doing was really terrible. So anyway, but if you notice how this scene was set up, he was saying David, the, David, the main character, was kind of like, "Yes, I'm guilty," but he clearly wasn't sorry about it. And this was kind of the problem with the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, or a problem, where it's like people were like, "Okay." They said, I need to say what happened, so here's what happened. But I think some people were clearly not sorry, and so it left the commission in a very difficult position. Oh, there was a Truth and Reconciliation Commission set up in Ireland also. It's also a Canada one. It's a Canada? They, they all just said, real, sorry, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> people so were not, were clearly like not sorry, but the, the, the commission was kind of in a tough situation where they kind of like, well... You satisfied what, you know, legally you, you told us what happened. So I guess we have to give you the, you, you know, your, not pardon. I don't think that was the right word for it, but give you your, you know, like not immunity. That's not the right word either, but say, okay, you won't have to serve jail time. Yeah. But that kind of leaves the commission. It's just a very difficult situation because really the only way to heal is if people are basically sorry about what happened. And if people are not sorry, then it kind of doesn't help that much. It's like, a, it's like being a Catholic, you know, you, 
you get to say confession. You're like, I'm, yeah, I did all those things. And they're going to say a whole bunch of sh- hail mirrors. Like, you got it. And you walk out. And you're like, that, now I can go fuck that pig. That again. is a load off of my <laughs> shoulders. Like, you ever see um, a Bronx tale where, um, there's that movie? Mm, yeah. I know you didn't see it, Nate. Uh, <laughs> I have. Holy shit. Oh, really? I think it's because you mentioned it several times because I love that movie. <laughs> and yeah. the, um, the kid goes to the priest at some point to tell him that he lied to the police about witness about who he saw murder a guy because he saw yeah. the mob guy do it and the priest is like oh well you know you kind of did what you have to do and so you should uh, say you know whatever 10 hail marys and the kid goes 10 hail marys for a murder rap great deal and he just leaves <laughs> and it's you know it's kind of how the sense i get from what i've read about the truth and reconciliation commission it's just like they're, as Nate is saying, they're kind of in a position where they can't do anything. But perhaps in some cases it was almost less helpful because you gave absolution to somebody who wasn't even sorry. You know, like you, you gave them a clean pass and they're, it's, it kind of seems almost like gloating in, the, in, in retrospect. And it reminded me also of the promise with the delirious, you know, Alzheimer's dad at the end of the book who <laughs> went between, before the Truth and Reconciliation, really, Truth and Reconciliation Commission, and was just fantasizing about the time he had a helicopter full of hookers. <laughs> like, like, he learned nothing. <laughs> there was a, I heard a podcast about a guy, a South African dude. Um, I forget his name. It was some crazy, you know, South African Dutch weird name. And he was one of the guys who did like crazy, <laughs> terrible, like medical experimentation on. I had uh, no idea that even existed. I thought that was pretty strictly a Nazi thing. This guy was almost a Nazi, pretty much. And he did all this stuff. Uh, like They were like practice, like learning. He was experimenting in chemical warfare. That's what it was. He was learning about chemical warfare by experimenting on black people in, in the country. And he wasn't a crime. And afterwards, he had all this, you know, leftover chemicals and shit. And he ended up being the one making most of the ecstasy that we, everyone did in the 80s, I think. Like, it all came from this guy's lab. That was his way of making amends. That was a way of making a shitload of money. <laughs> I will give this back. I will help people. <laughs> One other thing that he says, though, because when we were texting about the book, and we are like, I don't know what the hell this book was about. He's obsessed with Lord Byron. And this could be this is this could be just a thing you say in English class. I could be 100% wrong, but it just occurred to me. I'm sure it was the Lord Byron for a reason. Well, he later on says to his daughter, he's like, I was, I was a victim of error, or I was a servant of Eros, or some bullshit, Yeah, he says. some weird thing about, like, I, I wasn't fucked just, because God's made me. I wasn't just me. raping a young girl. I was, there was love and passion, just like the romantic poets, like Lord Byron. And Who I was just, a rapist. Yeah, but also, could he represent, because Laurie is clearly supposed to represent, like, the older white South Africans. Mm. Is this some sort of connection, like, a way to, like, claim some noble past or some connection to, you know, um, a long, a traditional thing that, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, there was a reason for it. I mean, that's, that's I feel like there's something, that that's the best answer I have for why Lord Byron that doesn't involve me ever having to read anything by Lord Byron, which is a goal for me. I'm right sure now. there's some sort of stuff in there about colonialism, which is like, well, this is the way we are because it is our right to be so, and we will do what we want because we can. 
believe it. But his this he's he's big into Lord Byron, and now that he's been fired, he's going to go off and hang out with his daughter for a little while, and he's going to work on his opera or his continually evolving project about Lord, Lord Byron. But he hasn't really done a lot of academic work lately because he's been like teaching bullshit to get by uh, as a job. But this this opera he's going to write is going to be his crowning achievement. <laughs> he hopes cr- it is. Yeah, hopefully. This is crowning achievement uh, from Barrier, and it is a imperial stout brewed with maple syrup, 12%, brewed with select quality crown maple syrup, bourbon barrel aged. And it's a little, is that a crown or a Canadian flag? I can't tell. I don't so know. was the beer bourbon barrel aged, or they brewed it with bourbon barrel aged maple syrup? Brewed with crown maple syrup, which is itself aged in bourbon barrel. That I seems think. like a waste to me. Like, will you really be I mean, able I'm, to I'm tell guess, I'm guessing it's point? based on the, con- the context of how it's written. I'm assuming that's what it means. Oh, it's backwards. You got nothing to line up with the camera, but thanks for trying. It's, it's, I don't want to, I'm so, I'm so frightened of holding this over the computer. Uh, <laughs> but I think, I think that the, smart. the syrup itself is, is the thing aged. Oh my God. Ooh. That is, uh, it's got a lot of flavor. A good one. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, Ooh, it's dark as fuck. It's like oil. Um, what was the ABV? Twelve. Oh, I'm so jealous. It's it's got a little bit of a bitter aftertaste, but it's it's pretty sweet. But it is a uh, it's heavy. It's a rich. This is a rich experience. It's really sticky, which I guess is just it's beer and syrup. Ooh, good lord, yeah, I can taste a twelve percent for sure. This is a strong one. Oh, good lord. Okay, uh, hope I make it through this one. So, I want to go there, man. <laughs> I want to go to there. I want to go to there. <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to just hang out with my daughter, uh, who's a grown woman. She's not a kid. She's in her mid-20s, and she lives in the middle of buttfuck nowhere, out in the sticks, on a allegedly a farm, but not really a farm. A lesbian farm. <laughs> it's a lesbian farm, yeah. He's but her, her like, girlfriend oh, is She left. has to be a lesbian, huh? He's very accepting I wish of lesbians. He was a hot lesbian. He constantly is like, she's kind of putting on weight. He's talking and to, the other lesbian's not hot at all. Yeah. Well, she's not even there. She, the other lesbian, her partner, girlfriend, has left at this already at this point by the time he's arrived. And she's living there on her own with all of her dogs. Uh, she runs a dog kennel, like a doggy daycare, but like in the middle of nowhere. So I'm not sure where these dogs come from. And she's out. Living at life, kind of, kind of being a bit of a hippie, you know, going to the farmers market, selling whatever the fuck. I don't know what she. Oh, what the fuck does she sell? Food? I can't remember. It was, it was like flowers, food or soap. And oh, like it's flowers. Potatoes yeah. and psych, psych, psych flags flags like, or something like that. Where's the oh, flowers? it's like it's like a specific kind of flower there. Yeah. So it's not really. She's not selling crops so much as she's like raising flowers to sell at the farmers market. You know, living that you know nineteen sixties San Francisco life. And she has on the farm there a guy who you only find out for sure much, much later, that you kind of suspect it, is black, Petrus. I didn't, I didn't even think about it until, I was like, oh, okay, yeah. Well, I mean, I just, the guy lives in the barn. He has his own property next door. No, no he but he's, he's somebody, land. there's like, at a, there's, he's, there's a farm next door, but then there's also this guy who, like, now is taking over, not taking over, he's, like, purchased 
a little bit of the land next door, but mm. also including. But he does. It did say that he lives in the barn. Oh, but he's very comfortable. But he yeah, like, lives in the there's barn. There's electricity and everything. And and you find out later, not a roof. <laughs> but it's such a shitty barn. Yeah. Well, it's the fucking desert at this point. It's like I don't know how they even grow anything there. They have a they have an irrigation irrigation system set up, but it's basically the fucking desert. Actually, I realize I don't know anything about the geography of South Africa to know what the it's hot. What biome they even have? <laughs> it's it a, in in a way like closer to Europe than anywhere else in Africa because it's not jungle, but it's it's not it's definitely it's not quite like desert either. But it is definitely more arid than equator. I mean, it's probably drier than most of Europe, but it is you know hmm. definitely not jungle. But one of the themes of the book here is that out here it, it was never even an issue when he lived in the city as the highfalutin college professor. But out here in the sticks, the issue of, like, race and apartheid is way more palpable. Yeah, after... So after David is sort of, like, helping out on the farm for a couple days, and then he, like, helps out with the, the, the woman the at the veterinary clinic. Bev. Bev. With Bev, whose job is killing dogs. <laughs> And cutting off their ball infections. <laughs> no, wasn't that a goat's goat? Balls. That uh, was a goat, yeah. Well, she probably cut some dog balls, too. Oh, yeah. They, they neuter. Spay and neuter. You no, know, she just kills them. Yeah, so she's not a doctor. She's not the veterinarian. She's just sort of the assistant. So It's a dog slaughterhouse. <laughs> there's, it, that's basically what it is. The veterinarian comes in once a week, and he does some neutering and stuff like that. But she can only do one thing, which is like, care for them a little bit and then when the owners are like yeah there are just kind of too many of them i just need you to get rid of this one and then she basically has to murder them even though she feels terrible about it but she's also like well somebody's got to do it so she does it um david helps out with that a little bit and he's like wow this is terrible i hate this and then keeps doing it and gets into it like he cares which he didn't care about anything else like he was a shit professor he just cared about getting his dick wet absolutely he he had you know these vague aspirations to write another book but never tried his his lectures were terrible he even said at one point like he didn't believe that communications was a discipline he's like it's stupid which it might be um no one knows what it is the people i know with communications degrees are all uh they're special in their own way. I don't deal um, with them, and but they all study different stuff, so I don't know what communications yeah. is. It's just like a weird casual degree. They, but he doesn't care about anything, but then all of a sudden he gives a f- big deal. It's like a big deal to him to do a good job disposing of dog bodies. That he's, you know, taking them. Except like uh, the passage, he takes them to the incinerator, the, cr- the dog crematorium at... Uh, Auschwitz bark now and uh <laughs> <laughs> and so he uh, uh he says like why am I st- why do I come back Monday to you know because they kill the dogs on Sunday and then he said why do I come back why do I wait till Monday to bring them here if it was to help Bev I would just dump the dogs at the place on Sunday and it takes it care of it for her if it was for the dogs, they're fucking dead. doesn't matter. But I bother to wait till Monday so I could personally put them in the crematorium because I once watched the guys who work there 
beating the rigor mortis to dog bodies with a shovel so it would fit into the thing, and that felt wrong to me. <laughs> like, he f- has feelings for the first time in his life, and it's for, for dogs. It's a strange... Dead ones. Dead dogs in particular. But he also, you know, oh, well, we, we kind of skipped over the event that happens at his house. This is only a few, really a few days, maybe a few weeks, a week or two after he's kind of living with his daughter Lucy out in the country. And then these three men come to the door and does he say right away that they're black? I mean... He never says They it. don't say it at all, but it's implied. Yeah. It's and they're like, later on. And they're like, oh, we need to come in. Oh, we need to use the telephone. I mean, it was kind of before cell phone, so I guess that makes sense. But, you know, uh, we need to use the telephone. Like, what? can't you use the one at the forest station? Because it's implied that they live in this, like, kind of remote village with no electricity or running water. And, like, can't you work the one at the foresty forest hut thingy? And they're like, um, it, oh, there's nobody there. We need to use your your phone. And, like, uh, okay, they come in, but they actually rob everything. They rape Lucy. And then they, like, beat David first in the head with something. They, like, lock him in the bathroom. But then he, like, gets out. But then when he gets out, they, they dump um, alcohol over him. Spirits. And then mentholated spirits. And then set it on fire. So they try and burn him. They try and set him on fire. But he lives. And isn't he, at that point, a little crispy? <laughs> <laughs> this is a little crispy A crisp ale From Clown Shoes oh. It's just called what? Lil Crispy Lil Crispy It's like a, my rap name <laughs> A little crispy Lil Crispy is a 4.8% alcohol Crisp ale Probably just a pale ale What is a crisp ale? Yeah, I don't think it's really a thing I mean, you just It's a nice poundable beer was that wrong? Was that wrong to, to use that beer there? You no, guys, it's, I can't it's read. totally fine. <laughs> it's better than that uh, other <laughs> one we just hug. wouldn't let bug you do. Hug. Yeah. I got to find the line. That's what children do. <laughs> they, just, they just try to find the line. <laughs> you only know if you cross it. That's right. Well, he's a little crispy. He's gotten burns all over because it burns off all of his hair. Yeah, and burns one of his eyes shut, or you know, it doesn't. It doesn't really burn him too badly. He's very lucky. Speaking um, of being lucky, we're lucky to have all these beers. Oh shit! Yeah, we are. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but mostly patrons. <laughs> <laughs> these beers are brought to us by our supporters over at Patreon. If you want to support the podcast, you can head over to Patreon.com/slash/DrunkGuysBookClub, where you can get. Early access to episodes, exclusive content, merch, vote in our monthly book poll, and get shouted out in our monthly book poll episodes. And and this book was a request by a patron. And they gave us money, and we said yes. So we're whores, but... And you can be too. <laughs> be our Johns over at Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so if you're a patron and you suggest a book, we definitely do it. If you're a regular listener and you suggest a book, we also will probably do it, just not this quickly. 
for those of you who are more cash strapped. And we have merch now. Oh yeah, we sell merch. And we also would do live episodes quarterly. Like there's just so many ways to interact with the drunk guys when we're sober enough to get up to the computer and turn it on. So head over there if you're interested in supporting. Or just, you know, leave us a review or just go, you know, tell someone to check it out. And if you hate the podcast, tell your enemies to listen to it. That'll work too. <laughs> Back to this book. So uh eventually he's uh they just leave and um David is able to like get out of where he's locked in the in the bathroom or wherever he was and then um and so Lucy's been raped. And so they like go to the doctor, like, oh my god, you know, they also steal a bunch of stuff, but they go to the doc you know, they, they kill go to the hospital. All the dogs too. Oh yeah. They shoot all the dogs. Which weren't even her dogs. Yeah. Actually the one they don't shoot is the one that is her dog. It's the dog no one wants. And but the Lucy won't like says immediately, you tell she she says to her father, who she calls David the whole time, you say what happened to her, what happened to you, but don't tell anyone what happened to me. Like you tell just your own story, and and she is she says she doesn't want to report the rape, and it's not. I mean, you can imagine possible reasons why, but she doesn't quite explain it very well either. She just kind of says, this is my decision. I don't want to, ooh, I don't want to share this. She says at one point, this is the closest I've found to an explanation. And I, if there's a better one and I missed it, I blame the alcohol. But she says, this is when he's like, dude, I think like you need to say something. And she says, what happened to me is my business, mine alone, not yours. And if there is one right I have, it is the right to not be put on trial like this. Not to have to justify myself, not to you, not to anyone else. Which I don't understand. That is the response, but that's what the character says. It's an intensely complex psychological thing that happens a lot. Yeah. A lot. In this book, it's probably a metaphor for some sort of thing, but... Definitely. Um, And so this, this scene, you know, if... This is all a metaphor for what it's like in South Africa or the different groups going on in South Africa. Like, what what does this scene mean? Because it's kind of the most important scene of the book is the author saying that South Africa is being raped by uh, basically the end of apartheid by the African, by the... I don't know. I don't really think that, that, I don't want to say that's this, what it says, but it I kind know of feels it doesn't like a, seem like I think it's something like if David is the old white South Africa, perhaps Lucy is the newer white South Africa. Oh, that yeah, that is post apartheid. So maybe he's saying that they know that I don't know how to say this without it's without it sounding incredibly fucked up, but like. Whatever happens, you know, like maybe we deserve this because of what everyone's done to these people for for centuries. And so we're not going to, I don't fucking know. I don't know much about South Africa. That makes us t- difficult, let alone rape. <laughs> so like complex metaphors about things I don't get necessarily on a personal level about historical events I also don't get are hard to understand. For stuff we have no context for here. No. So after this event, David is like, oh, my daughter, my daughter, I can't believe this happened to her. Which is in contrast to 
you know, when it was somebody else's daughter, but he was the one doing it. He didn't really think he did anything wrong. And he never thinks about that the rest of the book. No. I mean, he does try and, I mean, later in the book, he does go to the parents and try and say sorry, I guess, to them. But he's sorry that, like, it got weird. He's not sorry that he did it. Because he doesn't, he still doesn't feel like he raped anybody. He doesn't think it was rape at all. He's sorry that she got, like, upset. Like, why did it have to get complicated? That's his... Yeah. Yeah, he's like he's 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 still thinking like there's a way that they could like be together, or he just wishes. Yeah, he's like in his fucking weird head. He's thinking like, yeah, you know, we had a good thing going. There's a complete lack of self awareness on his part and the effect he has on people. Possibly Which symbolic. could be. I mean, I don't I don't know how much we want to torture the the allegory that we're interpreting here. You know, is it possible? I, I've got to I've got to ask. Is it possible? to write a critically acclaimed South African book and have it not be about apartheid? I can't imagine it is. Like, I'm sure in, there's a bunch of people writing like regular books. but And for this to win the Booker only five years after the end of apartheid, it just, there's just yeah. no, it just it's, has to be. They've just all, That's what it's all about. of them. You know, if it's about, if it's British, it's about class. And if it's South African, it's about apartheid. That's just the way books are. Yeah. David is like, how, you know, why won't, first he's like, why won't you tell anyone about the rape? And she's like, I just don't want to. But she's also clearly incredibly, very depressed and just doesn't want to, you she know. She stops going out of the house. She's like, earlier in the book, there's a scene where they go to the farmer's market and she's so, you know, um, she's a happy go lucky hippie kid. And, and she's charming and people, and, he's, and he says, like, people are buying more shit from buying more shit. Specifically because it's from her, because she's so friendly and so nice. And then later on, she's like, "No, nah, I don't want to go at all." Like she, she doesn't like want to go. Yeah. A shut-in, you know, which is not unreasonable, but it's you know, she has changed a great deal. One of the perpetrators was, you know, this sort of like neighbor kid who is this who is related somehow to the neighbor to her neighbor. Her, his, whose name is Petrus, and it's not it was not clear at first, and, and David tries to bring it up to him, like, oh, isn't it not safe here, and what, we need to find the people who did this, and then Petrus is like, well, like, I, and I think it was your, your neighbor, I think it was your, they like, see him. person Petrus who's around. Petrus has a party. Petrus has a party for when he, like, officially buys the land or something like that, and he invites David and Lucy. And, and, they're, the, and they're, they're the only white people there. They're only two white people, and it's, you know, a party in the barn, and you realize how not great it is. And he sees the young kid, because it was two men and a boy, is how he described the criminals. And he sees the boy there, and he, uh, you know, confronts him, and everyone's like, he fucking ruins the party. <laughs> and then Petrus is like, no, it's not that kid. And they talk about it the next day, when... And again, I don't know the symbolism of this, but Petrus is laying pipe. <laughs> he is literally laying pipe. He's literally yeah. laying pipe. Oh, uh, I forgot about that, yeah. <laughs> it's like, what? I've, how much am I supposed to read into this? And he's like, no, that wasn't the boy. And then David goes into this like fucking poetic waxing about, oh, the language can't capture what we think and what we say and blah, blah, blah. 
But the guy, you know, so you're like, is there a language issue? You know, is English not this guy, African man's first language? So is he struggling to communicate things? Because he does kind of come off as like broken Englishy at times when he's like, no, it was not that boy. He make a mistake. And you're like, oh, okay. So what does that mean exactly? And it's never clarified. But David is confident that that is the kid. But nothing can happen, especially because Lucy refuses to cooperate in any way with doing anything about it with the police. Yeah, and Petrus says, like, the boy is his wife's brother, but in the context of this, we're not sure if it's his actual brother, if it's, like, a tribal thing of sorts that, like, David doesn't understand. But in some way, the boy is connected to his family. And he says that the boy is, you know, he's, it was a mistake. And so David storms off. And Lucy says, oh, we're just trying to deal with that shit. Just leave it alone. And he's very upset by that. And so he's upset about things, so he goes to kill some more dogs, and then he bangs Bev. He bangs her out. Yeah. Yeah, Bev calls him and is like, oh, can you, can you meet me on Monday? I need an injection. <laughs> but he's like, but, the, but the, the place is closed on Monday. She's like, I know. <laughs> but something else is open. <laughs> The dead are dog factory. A, are we going to do a doggy style, though? Are we gonna, she's like, of course gonna... we're going to do a doggy style. I was like, oh, thank God. So <laughs> Bev is, uh, has received her lethal injection. But she's like really nice. She like set up the room with a blanket and shit. And, and all he could the think about is like, room. man, I would have never fucked this fat bitch years ago. Like he's thinking then. It's like, oh, what happened to me, man? Yeah. <laughs> I was fucking 20-year-old hot theater girls. And now I'm fucking this frumpy old woman. I bet she was decent looking 20 years ago. So what do you think at one point? Yeah. Yeah. He's clearly not. He's like, uh, what, what, has, what happened to he's me? He's clearly not, not a shitbag. Yeah. Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> I had to just count how many knots there were. Yeah. So he goes back and he's trying to get Lucy to like leave. Like get the fuck out of here. Because it's not safe where they are, uh, he says, and he is right. You know, she's still exactly where they were before when they came to attack her, and she's like, I'm going to stay. I like it here, and you can't make me leave. And he's like, I don't fucking get you. Because he, he says a line like, one, one line, which was something like, you know, my generation just doesn't understand her generation. Just yeah. doesn't understand it. There's a there's a wall between our generations, something like that, and I felt like the author is saying, you know, well, the old apartheid generation just doesn't understand the new, the new South Africa, the new, the new post-apartheid South Africa, and so David he leaves, he goes back to uh, Johannesburg, no, Cape Town. We- Cape Town. He goes back to Cape Town, and he like get tries to get his stuff. He he goes to his home, which had also been broken into, and like he's like, uh, but I just don't really care that much. Tries to get the stuff out of his um office, old office at his university, gets some of it back. But he mostly gets really inspired to write the opera, not about Byron, but about Byron's mistress Teresa. Who at the but t- ten years later after Lord Byron had like you know dead 
yeah, had where actually he was dead, yes, but also he had already like left her, and she like, was I, she was nothing without him. But David, the main character, is most like in tune with her, with her story about feeling left behind, and and decides to write an opera about her. But he's like, but. If, but he's like, I, I was playing, then I was coming up with the notes on the piano, but that didn't feel right. So then I got my seven-string banjo. That's a metal banjo. Holy shit, <laughs> I know, right? That's the, that's the what Korn uses on its, uh, <laughs> on, on its country album. <laughs> Creamed corn. <laughs> was and then he's like writing these songs about Teresa and stuff like that. And if I knew more about Byron, this would have made more sense to me. I mean, I guess the point is that, if nothing else, we can get that David has had this transformation in his view of who's the hero or like who's important or worth I don't talking know. about. I, I, did he really? I don't I'm think sure he did because the point of his whole thing when it was talking about Teresa was that without lord byron she was nothing she was she existed only as his mistress and that was the only thing anyone knew about her was she was some lady he used to bone and now that he's gone who the fuck is she she's no one so is can david only exist in apartheid in the the old generation of the old apartheid south africa and do these women mean anything aside from him having banged them well, he, he constantly has reminiscences of banging other women throughout his life, and they only mean something because he banged them. And he says at one point, he, he says to his, I think it's to his daughter, each woman has changed me. I've learned something from each woman. Like, he, he fancies yeah. himself as Byron. And Lucy says to him, maybe around the same time, he's like, I am not a minor character in your story. You think you're the main character here, but I am my own person. He's like, fuck you, lady, with your weak little penis. <laughs> I'd like to imagine when she said that I'm not a minor character in your story, and in his thoughts, is like, she said to David. <laughs> I mean, basically, is that's how he thinks of everything, is just in relation to his own dick, usually. So then, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a change. I don't know if it's, it means he's learned something, but it's a change. No, because he still doesn't finish the play or the opera. He just he fancies himself this like great scholar with creating this incredible work, but he never actually does it. He writes a shitty banjo opera and never finishes it. He doesn't get anything actually done. He thinks he's more important than he is. He thinks he's more interesting than he is and more impressive. He was a professor of communications, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> he invented the walkie-talkie, goddammit. I mean, I don't know what else really happens. I think well, the next he goes back thing. home to Lu- oh, not home. I guess back, to, back Lucy's to Lucy's home. She's is she pregnant yet? She is pregnant. Yeah, this is where this is where he finds out that she's pregnant, and she wants to keep the baby, and he just can't understand. And the neighbor boy from is there looking in her window, and he when he catches him looking in her window. And he attacks him, and David attacks him, and like gets the dog to attack him too. And then Lucy comes out, and she's like, "No, go away." It's just like, "No, you go away, David, my father. You need to go away." 
like, stop this. Stop attacking him. It's, it's increasingly clear that there's something wrong with the kid. Like, he's Pollux. not... Pollux, yeah. He, he's, not, he's not at 100%. They don't say what's wrong with him, but he's got some sort of developmental issues. Like, he's not not responsible for his actions, but something is wrong. And she thinks, like, just let him, let him be. And David is like, fuck that kid. He gang-raped you. But like, you know, he's just a kid who was forced along on something that he had no control over himself, necessarily. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and he's and ultimately she's like, I'm gonna marry him. <laughs> what? He's like, yeah, it's a convenient thing. Well, not of. not him. No, she's like Petrus Petrus offers to David is like, I will marry Lucy. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. Right. Petrus already has Different two P-way. wives. Yeah. Petrus already has two wives. But, and David's like, you can't fucking marry my daughter. He tells Lucy, but I was like, yeah, okay, I'll marry him. Because it's not actually like a legal marriage in terms of like the government acknowledged marriage of South Africa. It's more like a cultural local thing where if he takes her on as his quote unquote wife, then people will leave her alone. He'll, he'll be protecting her in a way. And then she can stay on the land. Pollux is his like wife's cousin or something. Pseudo pseudo brother of sorts. Right. That's what it is. So he's like, the boy is too young to do this, so I'll marry her instead. And she agrees, in theory. So like Petrus, when when David confronts him, he's like, I don't know. I wasn't there. The kid made a mistake. But then he later on he's like, Oh yeah, I'll fix this. What the fuck is that about? Well, she's having the, the she's having the baby. Yeah, but in like the tortured analogy that this represents the f- multiple generations and figures or, you know, cohorts of South Africa, what are we what are we supposed to take from this? I mean, I don't know if everything is a one-to-one analogy. I mean, I feel like you can't do it half the way. Like, you, you know, like you can't be like this character represents these people, this one represents the other ones and like what about the character that raped the other character? Like, oh, yeah, don't worry about that part. Like it has to matter somehow. Even if it's not one-to-one. Well, okay. I happen to find a quote about that, which I was going to bring up. Okay, so this is... Uh, this is a little... This is not at the end of the book, but it's... Um, okay, so Lucy says to David, it was so personal, she says. It was done with such personal hatred. That was That was what stunned me more than anything. The rest was expected. Why did they hate me so? I ne- had never said, set eyes on them. It was history speaking through them, he offers at last, a history of wrong. Think of it that way, if it helps. It may have seemed personal, but it wasn't. It came down from the ancestors. So is this like... If she's the new generation of the white side, he's the new generation of the black side. And, you know, these people grew up in horrific circumstances. And if they lash out... They're looking to punish, you know... The white, even the more liberal white people yeah. were left, the like, younger I mean, generation. Maybe not looking to punish, but if they do crazy shit, then you have to say, like, well, they lived through some bad stuff, and I, I don't know. I, it's, it's, it, it's layers and layers of stuff that I don't have any experience with or background in. I suppose. I, I mean, I, I assume there's, there's got to be some sort of reason. But it's, you know, maybe it's like, you know, how hate is taught true 
But I don't know. I, I just don't. I just don't. I feel like I, I don't understand enough about South Africa. No, fuck no. We don't learn anything about South now. Africa here other than apartheid was a thing that happened, and they talk stupid, and we saw District 9. District 9 was good, though. I District 9 was that. good. Also, aliens. it was about apartheid. It was, yeah. <laughs> it's about aliens. Don't lie to me. I saw that film. You want to eat the cat food. <laughs> so then, all right, fine. Well, whatever. She keeps the kid. And then his relationship with Lucy is kind of strained. And he kind of... And he rents a hovel in the nearby town to wait for the baby to be born. And then he kills his dog. <laughs> By the truckload. Well, he kills dogs. a truckload of there's, there's this one dog that he really likes. One particular and, dog. Yeah. And there's one particular dog he really likes at the animal shelter place. And then when it comes time, the day that they're going to kill that, you know, the it's day of the week. dog killing day. <laughs> where, they do all the, where they do all the executions. He brings in this dog. And Bev is like, oh, you're not going to. You're not gonna wait. You're not gonna save that one. He's like, nah. He's like, it's the time. It's time to let him go. He said, it's time to let him go. The end. Yeah. And that's, I guess, a metaphor again. For you know, let sleeping dogs lie. You gotta know when it's time to bow wow out. <laughs> the dog days are over. <laughs> oh oh oh. Yes, the dog days are done. Florence and the Machine <laughs> allegory. <laughs> Clap for your mother, clap for your father. I don't know the words. I think it, more of it gets explained in the sequel, Disgrace 2, doggy style. <laughs> no, we also, uh, we missed the part where he goes to see Lucy's play and her boyfriend like chases him away. And he well, can, not and Lucy's he, play, Melanie's, uh, play. Melanie, Melanie's play. And he also goes to see her family and has the most awkward dinner in the world with them. They invited him. Yeah, I was like, so, uh, you see any good movies lately? <laughs> Are you seeing anyone? <laughs> uh, well, maybe. And all he's thinking about is, oh, I bet her sister's thinking, like, oh, my sister fucked that old guy. Like, he's still extremely vain. Yeah. As if everybody's thoughts are about him. He's the main character. It's true. And we all are the main character in our life. He doesn't just have main character syndrome. He is the main character. He's the main character with main character syndrome. Yes. That's that's, that's, that's very much case. So what the fuck? So who could Melanie represent? Because is it ever... It's not explained if she's... She's, I assume, white. She's white. So who could she represent? What is she? She's like the older generation just... Their shitty decisions still fucking up the younger people. Or she is there. She is them. It's she is maybe just like them thinking they could do whatever they want. She's but like she's the, a victim. She's a victim. She's like, but she's. Uh, it's kind of like she's the victim. He thinks he can do whatever he wants, and he no longer is able to do whatever he wants, and he gets in trouble for it. But he asks like a pissy bitch about it. So maybe He's she, she that she he can't is, just do whatever he wants. Yeah, she is the changing of the times. Maybe she's not a particular group of people, but she's more like the idea that suddenly they're not allowed to do that anymore, and he has to live with that. And you know, the times they are a changing, 
she keeps going, and he just has to creep in a dark room and look at her. I guess. I mean, maybe it's not that a, every character is a person necessarily. She's all maybe she's also just like something like Lucy, like the new generation, where they just, you know, the old generation just fucks them. Yeah, could be. So, uh, what do you think of the book, guys? It was hard. It was it was grim. Definitely That's grim. That's a good word for it. Yeah. There's no. There's no good guys. There's some. There's some dogs though that are very good boys. <laughs> for a little bit, and then they then they kill them. <laughs> they get killed. Yeah. I felt like while it wasn't hard to read, it was difficult to figure out what the point was. And like, and we've struggled over that this whole time. So, like, what what is it really about? I felt like I probably got some of it, but there's a lot more of South African, you know, history today that I just don't know about. Well, maybe it's like the whole South African situation. There are no easy answers, which is maybe a cop out, but it could just be like, yeah, well, this is the way things are. It's not just like there's clear delineations of things that are bad and things that are good and who, who needs to do what. And it's just like, this whole situation is fucked. Everything sucks. I can't imagine that anyone comes out of this thinking like, yeah, no, no, hundred percent. Got it. I know it needs to be done. <laughs> Maybe big book nerds fucking understand shit. Big brains, you know? I mean, I feel like you need to be beyond a book nerd for this. You need to be like someone who understands fucking South African apartheid. Yeah. It's not even like specifically like human nature or, you know, right and wrong, it's it's very specifically about a time and a place and a history and a peoples that if you don't know much about, you could be the best reader in the world and not get it. So then why give this the Booker? And I don't know what else was nominated that year, but if it's a thing that only a select few could really get. Well, it was it was probably more well known at <laughs> At the yeah, time, that's true. and as for the judges, you know, both as like literary nerds, but also, you know, probably very liberal, you know, intellectuals, they probably knew a lot more about it. And and uh, the times people knew more about it. Yeah, okay. Yeah. You know, South Africa working to, uh, you know, working to end apartheid was a was a very big story in the previous five years. Yeah. Like we, we know more about stuff that's happening now than someone else might in 20 years. We're more familiar with the ins and outs of certain world events just because they're happening now. Like for most of us, South, for most of us our age and five or 10 years older than us, we know Lethal Weapon 2, which is what we talked about in <laughs> The Promise. Like That's it. Still a problem. Still a problem for them. Like They need to work on that. Making more Lethal Weapons? I think they are. South Africa and their abuse of diplomatic immunity. Oh, of course, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For the, like, you know, liberal intellectual world of the world, like, one of the most important, one of the biggest causes to, like, you know, work towards was ending apartheid for, you know, for for 20 years. And it finally came to pass in the mid-90s. And so... I don't know if anything else about apartheid won the Booker between 1994 and 1999, but probably not. This was probably like it. We're doing we're doing a South African book, 
about the end of apartheid. That, that whole, like, South Africa wasn't allowed to do anything. Like, they weren't allowed to join the World Cup or shit like that until this ended. So it was like a, they were cut off from the earth. They were like Cuba, except it was really the only us cutting off Cuba. of the world. Yeah. Is that what they were called? It's a great That's nickname. what uh, Mandela, Mandela said, you know, to end our... To, to end our, you know, place as the skunk of the world. That's what yeah. he said in uh, his uh, inauguration speech, I believe. Yeah, that's the first South African... That's the first South African winner since... Uh, since what's-his-name won in 1980-whatever. Since he won the last time, potentially. Because this was his second win. Yeah, I'm just going through. I reckon there's a lot of the names. Some of them I don't know. Yeah, he won in 83... Did Nadine Gortimer ever win? Yeah, she won. She 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 won in '74. But I don't know what the sense of the world was for apartheid in the '70s. You know, I don't know enough about it. So, it, I mean, it, it got well thanks to thanks to people like Desmond Tutu. It became much more of an international international cause. I mean, stuff was definitely happening in the '70s. I mean, the Soweto uprising um, was was in the '70s. But, you know, and it was just kind of like South Africa, uh, apartheid was just entrenched. And Mandela had already been in jail for 10 years, and he was going to spend another 10 years, another, for another, you know, 10, 15 years in jail. He was just a guy who people in the West thought was a terrorist. Whoops. Views changed a lot. <laughs> you, you, you can't get everything right, you know? We're still at 97%, though. That's pretty good. As uh, South Africa, that's their their mission statement. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> so how everything right. <laughs> I don't know if that's re- is that really what a South African accent sounds. I have no idea. They it's, sound weird. It's more New Zealand, <laughs> but uh, how does disgrace compare to the promise? The other Booker winner about apartheid we just read. As much as I was not 100% sure I understood the promise, I feel like I understood that a shit ton more than this. Yeah. And I, I read I this say, twice. <laughs> I really... I think that I understood the promise more. I think this might be a better book, though. And I only gave it three stars because... It wasn't because it was bad. It was, it was very good. But I didn't like it that much. But also because I didn't really get it. And I'm sure that if I got it, I would like it a lot more, but I, I think it was better than the promise because it's, I, I, I don't know why. I didn't think the promise was all that good. Yeah. That's maybe that because be I didn't it. get it. <laughs> I think it just, it was a less, it was a less lower quality. It was a little Booker more heavy winner. handed. Maybe we're just disappointed that no one is talking about this didn't win, so therefore we're like, no, this uh, can't be better than The Promise. No, no, I don't think so. I think, like, The Promise, it was it was good. It wasn't bad. It, you know, deserved to be nominated, certainly, sure. I think this was more interesting. Hmm. I think it was, I think it was, I think you could get more out of it. You might never figure it out, and maybe you're not supposed to ever figure it out. You can't figure out everything. You can't, f- there's no right or wrong with, like, certain things. I mean, certainly a lot of wrong shit that South Africa did, but it's, it's not, there's no, there's no clear answers all the time. The promise seemed goofy at times, which is not necessarily bad, but yeah, I can see that. That's true. Looking back on it, on the four of the six we read, I, th- I think 
I would have preferred Bewilderment to win. That's the book I like the most. But I think I see what you're saying. This is this feels like a Bewilderment could have been one of the characters in the overstory. Oh yeah, that's totally true. But I feel like um Disgrace feels like a more literary novel. Oh, it's the, it's definitely than, 100%. Than the promise even. It just feels like I think that's what you're saying we say it felt kind of goofy at points, right? Yeah, I mean, it, it just it delved, it delved into, like, through. yeah, it, it, like, dipped its toes in, like, hokey just for a second here and there. Like, ha-ha, comic relief. It's like, do you need comic relief in a book about this? It's like, it's like Schindler's List, but with, you know, he, he stubs his toe on a banana peel. Just like, oh, do we need that? <laughs> I mean, the promise was also very grim. It was, but it, I don't know. Maybe because it was... Maybe because it was spread out for, you know, decades over the course of, like, several characters and, like, all that stuff. It didn't feel as focused. And it was, I guess, guess in this one you could, like, see, like, this is, each of these people is a metaphor for whatever. The promise felt like a story where at the end you were like, South Africa is rough. And these people are suffering because of it. I don't know. Uh, Once again, I don't know fucking enough about South Africa. I don't. I don't, honestly, I don't feel like I need to know a lot about it. I, you know, we have a finite time on this earth, and you can't learn everything. And it's not on the top of my list, especially now that it's over. Well, you or you know, know, like the event itself is over. Repercussions are forever. But <laughs> fuck, I don't know. I'm not gonna become a South Africa scholar in my thirties. It's not so too I can read more. Me. So I can read more books about it and get the metaphors. <laughs> Think about poor Nate in the seventies. He's not going to get any of it. No, he, you're talking about he was there in the 1870s when they invented apartheid. He was like, "I got an idea, guys." <laughs> uh, they we didn't invent apartheid till the 1940s. So well, they just—I hear they have some good ideas in Germany. <laughs> we could probably use them down here. <laughs> so you say that as a joke. In reality, the white whatever party, I forget what they're called, sent representatives to America America and Nazi Germany to learn how to do segregation. And then they came back and they wrote a report and were like, here's what we think we should do. Here's here's how we should do this. And then they did apartheid. So they based it on America and Nazi Germany. Maybe South African apartheid. (laughs) Maybe South African apartheid is where the South rose again. Yeah. There's a lot, there's a lot, <laughs> there were a lot of people in the South who were not exactly anti-apartheid. Uh, good, good on you. <laughs> you show them, you take back your country that you took from them. <laughs> <laughs> Retaking it back again from the back time. Yeah, I'm... I'm I, I don't know. I like the book enough because it's easy to read, but without understanding it, the first time I read it, I was like, okay, this is a weird story. And that's all I got. I didn't really think much further because it's a short book. When did you read it? Um, Probably about eight years ago. Oh, and so you're like much younger. I mean, I was in my t- mid-20s. And I wasn't a... Mid-20s is still pretty young. If, you, if you're like just starting on your book journey quest... That was definitely closer to when I started reading a lot more. This is a deep. This is a deep thing for 
someone the first time i tried to read it was in high school actually i have a physical copy of this book damn i borrowed from someone you and i went to high school with jimmy it's pretentious douchebag said oh yeah this book's amazing and he he must have just like walked past a shelf at barnes and noble and picked it up this was like 2002 you know and and this uh, one the booker three years ago (laughs) award was a different time and it's probably like now in paperback or something like that i don't know how the release went back then but he picked it up and said, read this book. And I borrowed it. And I read a few chapters. Like, what the fuck is that? I don't understand. This is a boring. I don't, I don't get it. And then I never gave it back to him. It's in my house still. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt he's missing it. That's something, though, that I, I should report to the equivalent of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission is that I borrowed a book and never like that. I, I borrowed something with no intention of returning it. That's fucked up. It's not quite apartheid fucked up, but it's a scumbag move on my part. It's close. And so I was like, this is stupid. And then like when I got back into reading in my mid mid or mid to late twenties, I'm like, oh, I'll read that book. Cause then I was trying to go through the Booker winners. I was like, I have that book. And I read it and I was like, I understand what happened in the book on a very <laughs> surface level. Yeah. Good enough. Moving on. And so this you hadn't time, seen no Lethal one... Weapon 2 yet. You had no base knowledge of, <laughs> of Apartheid. <laughs> District 9 hadn't come out yet. Actually, it had. Yeah. I, I you just hadn't seen it yet. Yeah. So when I, read, when I was rereading this the other day, I knew the rough points of the plot. I remember the main things. And I was like, this can't just be about that. But I, I have not gotten closer to any answers. Well, not you've, much. Gotta, you've gotten closer. Closer. I know now it's not just about killing dogs. The dog thing I still don't get. I maybe don't get just, that. Maybe so. just fucking South Africans hate dogs. I don't know. They're cat people. Oh, there you go. <laughs> what do you think, Nate, about that theory? <laughs> I don't think that's what that part was about. I think um, Kutsi is a animal rights kind of dude. So... It could just be him incorporating multiple things into one book. I mean, I, it's too it's too much a part of the story to be anything. Too much but apartheid. Like, apartheid. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's too it's too. I it's see what you're too saying. like central to the plot for it to be just be some throwaway. Like also animal rights. Like I don't think so. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe the third or possibly fourth time I read the book, I'll understand it fully then. But that will be twenty seventy three. And I'll be just shitting in my pants in a wheelchair. So who knows if I would be capable of getting anything then. Mm, chair poops. <laughs> Drunk Eyes Book Club, season 68. <laughs> We're going to make it to 69, baby. Yikes. Just holding on to season 69. <laughs> nice. <laughs> what? How many beers will we have had to have had by then? We have to fucking get them, like, put like in an literally IV. tens of thousands. Fucking, we'll be on our third, maybe even fourth livers by then. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. All right, tell us what you thought. Send us an email to drunkguysbookclub at gmail.com. And uh, follow us on Twitter at drunkguysbc. Or go to Facebook and Instagram at drunkguysbookclub. And if you've listened this long and want to support the podcast, head over to patreon.com slash drunkguysbookclub, where you can help us out financially, or just help us out by leaving us a, a high review, or telling uh, someone to check out the podcast. We appreciate it.
And you can also join us on Goodreads and join our group of reading goods. Reads. Good. Reads. And check out the Hopped Up Network, a network of independent beer podcasters. <laughs> and thanks for listening. <laughs>